died, he had a, a sign placed above his head that read, King of the Jews. Um, this sign was placed there in jest, kind of, a way of laughing at this criminal who was hanging uh, on those planks of wood. Jesus was condemned to die, um, but his trial was a blatant miscarriage of justice. Just a quick look at uh, if you... Oh, I, I, sometimes I really get annoyed with the Gospel of Luke because I keep on saying, just have a look at Luke. Um, but if you, had a, if you had a look at, at Luke chapter 23, um, you will see very clearly that Jesus' trial was a miscarriage of justice. Four times in the space of just 20 verses, Jesus is declared innocent by the authorities. They had no charge against him. But because of the clear anger towards Jesus, they had him killed anyway. The Bible even tells us in Matthew chapter 27 that Pilate, who was the judge at the trial, washed his hands of the decision, essentially said, I'm not making this decision because he believed Jesus was innocent. He washed his hands of the decision and let him be killed because there was such an uproar against Jesus. So the question is, why was there so many people annoyed at this man who appeared to not do anything wrong in the eyes of the law? What was the problem with Jesus? If they couldn't actually charge him with anything, what was the issue? Why the uproar? When Jesus set down his carpenter's tools and set out on foot to inform people that uh, God's kingdom was coming, he was walking into trouble. In a world void of televisions and radios and mass media, when there was a change in government, that information was spread by messengers who would go town to town and tell people there was a new ruler, a new king, to tell them there was a new kingdom in place. And this is what Jesus was doing at the start. In first century Palestine, anyone talking about a new kingdom was by that fact alone walking on dangerous political ground. The ruler at the time was a Roman, Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus had already declared Rome's exclusive claim to kingdom vocabulary. And he tolerated no rivals. Caesar Augustus had certain messages about him spread around the place. He liked certain names. He was known as the beginning of all things, as God manifest. He was known as the savior of the world who had fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times and whose birthday had been for the whole world the beginning of good news. That's the kind of message Caesar Augustus liked to put out there about himself. It's not a surprise then that Jesus, when he spoke about his kingdom, spoke in parables and metaphors and riddles that didn't explicitly defy Roman rule. But for those who had ears to hear, mustard seeds and pearls of great price were the rhetoric of a revolution. Jesus was starting and leading a rebellion against the political and religious authorities. It's said that you cannot defeat the usual sort of power by the usual sort of means. If one force overcomes another force, it's still a force that wins. Jesus led a rebellion unlike any other. Jesus challenged not only structures of economic injustice and inequality, but he challenged patterns of social inequality and hierarchy of every single kind. 
Just look at the Gospels, read the stories in the way that Jesus treats women and children, the way he treats people of other nationalities and faith backgrounds. Jesus repeatedly and provocatively overturned deeply ingrained cultural trends and assumptions. He overturned assumptions about who was first and last, about who was above and below, about who was worthy and unworthy in the eyes of God. And Jesus doing this is what enraged so many religious rulers at the time. Because the religious rulers liked to point out how great they were and how rubbish everyone else was. How everyone else was failing and they had it all sorted. And Jesus' revolution aimed at turning all of this on its head. Jesus was calling his followers to embody God's actual kingdom of compassion and justice over and against Lord Caesar's kingdom and the government that led them at that day. He was telling them to live under God's rule by building a new community, a countercultural community that would stand in, in non-violent but subversive opposition to all the forces responsible for grinding down the poor and the weak, the minorities, the hopeless. And we begin to see then why Jesus' message had such an electrifying effect on the impoverished and the socially marginalized who, who flocked to hear him speak. And we begin to see why Jesus created the religious rulers and the, and the authorities of the day to be so frightened and angered. There's no place in God's kingdom, it turns out, for great men or for rulers who lorded over others. There's no place in God's kingdom for political or religious elites. Jesus declares, whoever wishes to become great amongst us will become servants. Whoever wishes to be first will be a slave. It's quite provocative language. The authorities of the day, both the religious and the political authorities of the day, knew Jesus was an issue. They needed to stop him. The Romans and Caesar Augustus didn't want some man walking around town to town declaring that there was a new ruler in place. The religious groups didn't want uh, an obviously gifted speaker and leader convincing people that they had been wrong uh, about the world for centuries. They needed to silence him. And they did. Or at least they thought they did for a day or two. The thing was, without Jesus being physically present, his leadership, his kingship, his kingdom continued to grow rapidly. More and more people agreed to live under his leadership and rule instead of the earthly kings and authorities. More and more people set down their honours and titles and served. More and more people sought to live, to think, to dream, to act from a place of compassion and justice, forgiveness and love. During Jesus' time on earth, he declared that there was a new kingdom, a new rule was present, God's kingdom, and he asked people to choose to live under his leadership. So that kind of leaves us with two questions, really. A, are we going to choose to live under his leadership? Are we going to choose to live under the rule in the kingdom that God has set up? And B, if we do choose to live under his leadership, then what does that mean for us? 
today, living day to day in 21st century Ireland. What does that look like? If you've ever traveled before, you'll realize that life is very different under different leadership. That's why Ireland doesn't operate the same way as China. That's why Zimbabwe is, has different laws to Canada. So what's required of us when we live under God's kingdom? Unfortunately, I don't think I've got the time to go into that. <laughs> so I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> but it's something that we need to be thinking about and thinking about constantly. What is required of us when we live in God's kingdom, under his leadership, what does it look like for us? Over the next five weeks in Ignite, we're going to be comparing and contrasting uh, the life of Jesus to the life of David, King David, the Old Testament character, um, the most famous and renowned king of Israel. And during this time as a community, we'll potentially get the chance to think more about that question, about what this looks like to live under Jesus' leadership. But Today we're dedicating Quinn. What this means for us as a church, as a community, is that we're promising to be kingdom people, to be citizens of God's country to Quinn and to her parents and to her family, to treat them with kindness and compassion, to forgive and seek forgiveness, to serve them and put their needs ahead of our own. And we do this not so... Quinn is forced into the kingdom. You can't be forced into the kingdom. You can't be born into the kingdom. It's a choice that we make, and it's a choice that Quinn will make one day. We do this so that Quinn will have a good understanding of what it means to live under Jesus' leadership, of what it looks like to live under his rule. So I'm going to finish up, and we're going to sing again. Um, But first, let me pray. King of kings, our Lord, our ruler, may we understand more of your kingdom and your rule. May we get a clear picture of the way we should live under your leadership. May we be kingdom people and display kingdom values in each and every part of our lives. Amen.